Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, good morning. Pretty good, pretty good. All right, well, glad to have you here this morning. Hey, this morning we're going to be wrapping up our series entitled Unwrapping Christmas as we go. And uh, we want to look at one of the characters that we have not talked about yet. And I think is probably one of the unsung silent heroes of the whole Christmas story. And this morning we're going to look again a little bit closer at the story of Joseph. And we want to look at it from the perspective through the lens of a letterman's jacket. And that's the context of where we're going today. And uh, today, because it's Christmas, I thought my Nebraska one worked well with the colors and all that, so I thought I'd sport that one for you this morning. I do have a high school letterman's jacket, so special to me. Omaha Central Eagles, purple, majestic, big old, I won't even say what year, 86 is on the side, right, in your name, and football, basketball on the back, oh, such a, but purple didn't work quite as well with the ensemble, so we've gone with the, uh, the Husker one with us this morning. And uh, is anybody else here still have their Letterman jacket packed away, somebody? Oh, I should have had everybody bring them there. There we go. Tammy's got a great Letterman's jacket loaded up. She was varsity as a freshman, all these things down. It weighs about 1,000 pounds and all these things. But I had to go back through the box and try to look at those kind of things. But it's amazing. The origin of Letterman jackets goes all the way back to uh, 1865 at Harvard University. And on one day, the baseball team decided, hey, we're going to take a big H and sew it onto our uniforms. And so they did that in 1865 and thus begun the tradition of the Letterman jackets. I've got a big N for knowledge for my Nebraska days that are there. Um, My high school jacket, again, was very special to me because at a time in life when I was trying to find myself, trying to belong, who was I, where do I fit in, the crazy thing is like that jacket meant I belonged somewhere. I was a part of an elite group of athletes on campus, and there was some esteem, and and there was belonging that came into it. So I just remind you today that for many of you, these little jackets that are stowed somewhere aware, there's a lot of significance to them. There's a lot of things that we have piled into just simply that, and that's what we want to look at today. But I was trying to think back in our days, all this nostalgia came back. Remember, some of you grew up around my time, people went crazy on their Letterman jackets with all of the medals, do you remember, that you would get for everything? Especially if you were in, like, track or band or 4-H. I mean, here's this dude. This thing's loaded now, and everything he has, and remember, they would rattle and all these kind of things, and uh, they were just packed. My son, Trent, who was a track star, has medals upon medals. We made him this little shadow box. And he still has medals and shoeboxes packed away. And I'm like, oh, if I should have been in band or track, they get medals, right? My other son, TJ, and I, we were basketball, football guys. We never got medals. You remember this, some of my fellow people? You'd get a trophy, you win the holiday tournament, and it goes into the trophy case. I mean, it's not even like the Stanley Cup. They should have gave it to us like for five days. Everybody gets to march around with a trophy, but it wasn't the case. So you can always tell what sports you are in your Letterman jacket because either you had a ton of medals or you didn't as they go. The Letterman jacket, it's, it's a part of this whole experience of that season of life. So a little nostalgia for a time. Reminisce, if you would, go back to your first homecoming football game. You've now graduated high school. You're in college, you're now the big college guy, 
back going to the little high school, like it's six months later, high school campus as you go. And you make your way down and it's homecoming weekend and you put on your jacket and you head out to the bleachers and of course you find your letterman jacket because you want to remind people that I really was somebody when I was here, when I walked the halls because nobody remembers who you are, but you've got it all. And you head up to the bleachers, remember this cool, crisp evening? And you're watching the football game. And for many of us, like, this was a new experience. Like, I'd never watched a football game from the bleachers. I'd always been on the field all these days. But this was the moment of high school homecoming as it came. <laughs> and you're looking around the, the, the campus, and everything's familiar, right? But everything is different. And you see things differently. And, you're, and your mind's flooded with all kinds of memories, right? Many of them good. Some of them not so good but it was a sweet kind of homecoming experience. <laughs> and when you came back during that week, you wanted to just feel like you belonged again, right? And you wanted people to remember you. Like, oh, I was something significant, right? You had hoped that you'd left some kind of legacy of there. You wanted to remind your teachers, hey, you made it. My chemistry teacher, <laughs> I did graduate in spite of the grades you gave me. And uh, it was this sense that you came back with all of these emotions. My favorite homecomings were a little later on when Tammy would come back with me. And then you'd bring her with your jacket and you'd parade her around. You're like, oh, see, I did finally get a girlfriend. We all wondered. And uh, she's pretty amazing, right? I have made it validate me as we go. I wanted my hometown to feel proud of me. I wanted to feel proud of them. It's homecoming. It's a sweet little season. It's a little different in college. You go back for homecoming kind of stuff. We had an annual uh, alumni basketball tournament that we'd go back for every year. And uh, it was a little bit different during those times. Now our high school sweethearts have now turned into new expectant moms as we go, right? And everyone would celebrate, oh, you're pregnant, right? High fives, fifth pumps. They would harass you with the same stuff. Oh, I hope this kid looks more like Tammy than you, right? I hope she actually has a jumper when you don't. You know, all these kind of things. It's, oh, it was so special. Homecoming. You go back to family. Everybody's excited. Oh, the expectant of, the, of a new grandchild that was coming. It was an exciting time, a sweet season of life. And these little jackets, right, hold all of those memories in those moments of all, all that it meant and what homecoming was there. Well, Caesar Augustus, in the book of Luke, declares that we're going to have a mandatory homecoming. <laughs> we're going to call it a census but I'm gonna require that everybody heads on back. So Joseph now prepares to take this 80-mile trip back to his home. And as he's preparing for this trip, I doubt that Joseph bothered to go find his letterman's jacket at that moment. See, Joseph wasn't looking forward to going back to the bleachers and sitting amongst his peers and his old teachers and the people that knew him and talking about life. Joseph knew when he headed back for his homecoming, there's no fist pumps, there's no high fives. Mary's nine months pregnant. She's showing. Everybody knows that they're still in the betrothal period. This was not going to be that kind of joyous homecoming. And everybody thinks they know what's going on with Mary, right? Because it's becoming obvious Except in reality, nobody knows what's going on with Mary. And how can he possibly tell everybody? 
every person that comes across. Listen, no, 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 no. Look, she's really a virgin. <laughs> I mean, an angel told both of us. Don't you believe me, right? I mean, how does this story go on? In my hometown, when I go back, I want everybody to remember me that I'm an honorable man, that she's a good woman. But nobody believes it because all the evidence looks to something completely different. And Joseph knew when I'm going back for my homecoming, I'm not bothering to bring my letterman's jacket because nobody is going to care about any of those things about what they knew of me. And this is why Joseph responds the way he does in our Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go to Matthew 1. If you've got your phones, if you're new here, go to lexcity.info. Sermon notes are on there. Everything happening in the church is, is going there. But Matthew chapter 1, let me go to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. The betrothal period, we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago, right? A one-year period where the husband prepares the home for his new bride, the bride shows her faithfulness and, and uh, commitment um, during this time. After a one year, it culminates with a big wedding ceremony, sometimes up to seven days. So Joseph, rather than disgrace Mary publicly, and by doing that, think about this, saves his own reputation, right? She was the one. She was unfaithful. It wasn't me. His reputation would be held, but he decides, listen, I'm gonna divorce her quietly. And I'm going to do this prior to this homecoming event, because if I do it prior, let's just be honest, I save myself having to answer a thousand different questions. How did this happen? How did you mess up? Where did the struggles from this? I don't have to answer everybody's questions there. I don't have to feel the glares of judgment and shame that people are going to be looking at us over and over during this homecoming time, the disappointment that will be on their faces. And after all, right, this is why in Jewish law, there was the provision for divorce in the betrothal period to protect somebody from this very thing. I mean, this would be Joseph's natural response. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, right, all the things I'm thinking about, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It's Matthew 1. In this unwrapping series, we've been looking at Luke, right, the doctor who loves details. So Luke says, that's some good stuff. Let me give you a few more details. So go back to Luke chapter 2. Luke's going to give us a little bit more. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Think about this. No place for them in the inn. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. We can relate to that, right? Uh, we know how it is when things get busy in our city, right? We got a UK home football game, Keeneland's in session. You can't find a hotel room anywhere here close. We understand what that is like. But I want to remind you this, that Mary, think about this. Mary is nine months pregnant. And are you telling me there is no family, there are no close friends 
who can provide a room or even a space for a nine-month pregnant woman? I'm telling you what, if my daughter-in-laws came back to town nine months pregnant, my wife would put me in the stable and uh, the girls would have the room. There's no doubt about what this is happening, right? So can I just propose to you this morning to think about it? That due to this unwanted pregnancy, the shame that that would have brought culturally, that not even his family or closest friends wanted anything to do with Mary and Joseph. You're an embarrassment to the hometown. You're an embarrassment to our little community and that people would talk. Everyone in this little community was already beginning to talk. If you've lived in a small town, you know how this works. Everybody's already having this conversation about what a disgrace it is. Don't bother to wear your letterman jacket here because we don't even want to claim you. All right? Take the bee off the jacket. You're no longer one of us as we go. It's not a happy homecoming for Joseph in the context this was happening. But let's go back. That's the, the framework, right? But let's go back again to when the angel appears to Joseph. And the angel's gonna remind Joseph this morning, the lesson for us is that God has a plan and his plan is different than your plan, but the plan that God had is for the whole world. Verse 22, and all this took place, why? To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Think about this. This angel of the Lord appears to Joseph to say, I'm gonna tell you a little bit of God's plan. It's not gonna be an easy plan. It's not gonna be the plan you want, but here's the plan. You're gonna have a, a son. It's not gonna be your baby. It's not gonna have your eyes. It's not gonna have your smile. In fact, you're not even gonna be able to name this baby. God has already chosen the name of the son that will be yours. Now think about that. It's not, that's not easy news. It's not gonna be your child and all that that means. Not gonna be easy news, but it is amazing news. And Joseph, this is what I love about this guy, trusts and obeys God, fully knowing at least part of the story what this all means for him in his life. He trusts a God who has been silent. Think about this, silent for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. No new revelation, no Prophetic words spoken, nothing written in scripture for 400 years has been silence. And now God has created this circumstance that's going to be amazing for the world, but it's going to turn Joseph's life upside down. I'm thrilled for everybody else, <laughs> but I know what this means for me. Think about that. But he submits his plans to God's plans and he obeys. And we're going to see again, this was not a one-time decision for Joseph. This is a decision he's gonna to have to make over and over and over again. Whose plans are gonna be the plans of my life? Let's go on, verse chapter two in Matthew. Go back to there, verse 6, 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream a second time and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. 
and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. At this point, I'm sure Joseph's like, man, I, I, I don't ever want to see another angel in my life, right? This is angel number two. This thing is getting worse, right? I obeyed the first time. Think about this. And I assumed God would bless and God would make my life easier because I was obedient, right? This is prosperity gospel, right? I do what you want, and then God, you make everything great. I did what you asked. I returned to my home knowing I would experience all of the looks of everybody who was close to me. I took Mary as my wife, in which you've asked, and now I have agreed to, to raise this child. I did everything you want. <laughs> I've endured all these things. But now an angel's appearing to me telling me what? Pack up everything? My, my new child, my, my new bride, pack up everything we have and flee in the middle of the night? And of all of the places you want me to flee, think about this, you want me to flee back to Egypt? <laughs> God, do you have a short memory? Do you remember hundreds of years of slavery? I feel like an outcast in my hometown that you called me to go to. And now you want me to go to a place where I have no idea how I'll ever possibly fit in. God, I know you have a plan and you're telling me, your angel's telling me that this plan is significant because it fulfills prophecy, but it's certainly not my plan. So they go. Pick up, flee in the middle of the night once again and go to Egypt. Now, I don't know how many years or how many months or how long it took for news to get all the way from his hometown down to Egypt, but the news begins to get to them eventually that Herod has killed all of the newborn baby boys. And when you hear this news, can you imagine being Mary and Joseph? The, the emotion, relief, guilt, right? I was obedient, and because I was obedient and fled, people we know, the children were killed. People have suffered this unimaginable pain because of my obedience. <laughs> it's not how I pictured the plans of my life to work, right? So we're two angels in. Third angel now comes and appears to Joseph while he's down in Egypt. And at this point, again, Joseph's like, man, I'm never eating pizza past 8 o'clock because, man, these are, these are hideous. It's crazy. Every time an angel comes, I'm now, right, it disrupts my life in the most unimaginable ways, and the third time it is no exception. Go to verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child, his mother, and they went to the land of Israel. But when he had reached that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, this is Herod's son, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city of Nazareth so that that which was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Can you imagine at this point when Joseph's down in Egypt, gets news Herod has finally died, you're like, all right, now I get to live my life. Now, now I can move forward in the plans that I've always dreamed of my life and would it be Herod's dead, I can now live in peace, I no longer have to fear being killed. The problem is, again, who comes into power was now Herod's son and the same evilness is passed down. 
and it's no longer safe to return. And so the angel says to Joseph, you're not returning home. You're going to this place called Nazareth because God's, this was God's plan from the very beginning that the prophets, hundreds of years earlier, foretold that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. That God, angel reminds Joseph, has had a plan, a sovereign plan from the beginning of time. It's not an easy plan, but it's the plan that was central to the Christmas story, to which we celebrate today and will celebrate tonight. All of this was happening through the sovereign hands of God and God's plan for the world. It just came at the expense of Joseph's plans and desires. So Joseph, I think out of all of the figures in the nativity scene that we all have around our houses, maybe the most apprehensive participant. This is the guy who didn't ask for this spot, didn't seek it out, wasn't the mother of the Son of God. He was Joseph, called to step forward in obedience over and over. That was his role, was the role of obedience, to lead a family in faith and the courage. And as I think about Joseph's life, I think it challenges all of us with one simple but really profound question. And it's simply this. If God has a plan for my life, and I have a plan for my life, someone has to change their plans. I mean, isn't that the truth? I, I have visions of what I thought my life was gonna look like. I, I think to 2024, I've got ideas of what that's gonna look like. But God has ideas of what this next year will look like. And God has ideas what the next 10 years. So somebody's got to change their plans. And what I so admire about Joseph is that he understood that that was his role. And out of trust and courage and obedience, simply obey. We like to do it the opposite way, right? We love to ask God, hey, bless my plans. This is what 2024 is gonna hold, Lord. Just please bless it, because it's amazing plans. I've laid them out myself, right? I want you to prosper these things. But can I remind you that God didn't come to earth to bless your plans. He came to invite you to be a part of his plans. There's a bigger, sovereign thing happening, and God invites us to be. Jesus didn't come to bless our lives. He came to change our lives. So Joseph, a man of great faith and obedience, who over and over and over died to his own plans and his own desires and his own preferences and submitted to the Lord's. Today, could I just propose to you to think (laughs) that maybe God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus, not just because she was amazing, because she knew that her husband would be a great man of faith called Joseph who would step out in courage, knowing all the implications and trust the Lord. Maybe he's the unsung, unspoken hero of the Christmas story. (laughs) Because God knew this man would walk in obedience, that he'd die to his own preferences for the sake of the greater good. If God has a plan for my life, and I have a plan for my life, someone has to change their plans. So as we prepare for 2024, which is hard to believe here, already next Sunday, whose plans are gonna change this next year? Are you asking God to simply bless what you have already determined is going to be what the next six months hold? Or do you hold it with an open hand?
Joseph, in great courage, submitted to the plans of God and became, I think, one of the great silent heroes of the Christmas story. He doesn't have a single spoken word recorded in scripture, but his courage and his faith, I think, is an inspiration that 2,000 years later, we're sitting and talking about. Joseph, famous and yet forgotten. Overshadowed by his wife and the son, but he creates but he plays a critical role in God's sovereign plan for mankind. Someone wrote it this way, entitled it, The Lost Hero. Blessed father, faithful husband, steadfast man of God, famous yet forgotten, lost in the shadows of his wife and son, yet his life was a noble one, deserving more than just fame by his name. He remains a lost hero. This Christmas season, let us be encouraged and inspired by the lost hero who in his silence inspired us through courage and obedience and faith. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as this series, we've tried to unwrap Christmas and see some of these amazing characters through different perspectives and different lenses. Today, we're reminded and challenged by this incredible man named Joseph. who could have taken the life of ease, could have put on that letterman jacket and walked back to town, the remembered great hero of days of old. But he made a choice to die to his plans, to submit to your greater plans, a global plan for you to save the world through your son named Jesus. And in great humility and courage, comes back to a hometown and he flees to protect this child to Egypt. While in Egypt, rather than come back and reestablish life as he dreamed it, he goes to a place called Nazareth to fulfill what you had predestined from the beginning of time. So Lord, this next year, may we be men and women who are not only inspired by Joseph, but would live with that kind of open hands. To say, God, this next year, not my plans, but your plans. God, I'm not asking you to bless what I have already determined. I'm asking that I would conform to what you already have in place. And that you would not simply bless me, but God, that you would change me for your glory. So God, this Christmas season, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you tonight. We get to gather again to worship, to be reminded that the true meaning, that ye shall give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. And in order to do that, you used a quiet, obedient man named Joseph, and we're grateful for it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.